May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Well, I'm uh, Jeremy. And I'm Alex. And this is the Dominion Podcast. Uh, episode 17, I think, or 16, somewhere around there. Somewhere around yeah, there. He's losing track. It's so, yeah. many, so many now. So many. We're here to report, though, that the uh, kings are stubbornly uh, not falling down and uh, <laughs> pig-headedly uh, not worshiping the sun yet. Every just week so you know. we just hope and pray. Well, and that, that, that is our prayer. It really it is. is. It really is our prayer. We need a revival. Mm-hmm. It's the only uh, only answer to our ills at mm-hmm. the moment is the move of the spirit mm-hmm. in people's hearts. So thanks for joining us. You know, we've got some pretty faithful listeners, mm-hmm. including uh, your mom. Yeah, Shadow's mom. Yep. Sue Klusterman. Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Was she going to bake you some cookies now that you mentioned her name on the, on the podcast? He's such a nice boy. <laughs> Squeeze my cheese. <laughs> Oh, we love our moms. <laughs> we are talking tonight about Christian non-compliance. Yeah. And uh, I asked Alex beforehand, uh, offline, to differentiate between that and what we've been talking about a lot lately in civil disobedience. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll start off and you can sort of define what we're talking about and what we're not talking about, and then we can get into it. Yeah, so uh, this is important because, I mean, when you say Christian non-compliance... Um, I think the reason people have such a problem with civil disobedience is because they don't have a category more broadly of any kind of non-compliance, Canadians in particular. And so uh, when you say Christian non-compliance, it sounds like a um, contradiction. It's like non-compliance is not Christian, right? Christians ought to be compliant people submissive people, obedient people. The term submission, obedience, and compliance become synonymous with one another. Mm. And I want to step back even further before we even start talking about Christian non-compliance, because really I think these are not Christian values, uh, an aversion to, compl- to, to non-compliance. Really these are Canadian values and profoundly Canadian values. I mean, if you look at the the state of our country right now, we are, as far as the world goes, still the most restricted in our lockdowns. Um, we have had the least resistance to any kind of government overreach. Um, there was, in other words, a, there is a huge culture of compliance. Canadians it's an are just epidemic compliant. of nice. It's an epidemic of nice. <laughs> it's an epidemic of compliance, um, and it's been sad and disturbing to see. How few people, just just citizens, uh, are willing to even voice any kind of opposition to harmful and dangerous practices, uh, etc. Um, so, kind of back this up a little bit in biblical categories. One of the, the main dangers we are warned of over and over and over again in Scripture is the danger of syncretism. And so syncretism is blending the ideas, values, practices, or we would say the worship of one culture or religion with another. So it could be blending of philosophies, it could be a blending of cultures, it could be a blending, and by that I mean the values of a culture and its practices, or it could be a blending of religions, its worship. Mm, yeah. And 
this has always been a temptation um, for either a minority group in the midst of a majority. If you look at the Old Testament, God warns the people of Israel again and again and again. You know, when I give you, when I give you the promised land, you know, you need to not join in on their worship. You need to not offer up your children. You need to not um, worship their gods. You need to not marry their women. These types of things, and He warns them against the idolatry of of worshiping their gods and adopting their values and practices and neglecting his law Mm -hmm. and word. Yeah. And that syncretism wasn't just, uh, wasn't just blatantly worshiping another God. No. Or even like creating an image of of Yahweh or something, but even worshiping the right God in the wrong way was considered syncretism. So you, you think of, uh, how they would worship Yahweh, but they would go and worship him at the high places. Yes, Instead yes. of in the temple where yeah. he was supposed to be worshipped. Yeah, this is, God obviously points this out um, because he's trying to teach them you can't do both. And this is what James calls mm-hmm. a divided heart. Um, you know, adultery, adultery of the heart where what God calls his people to is holiness. And holiness is fundamentally about devotion, singular devotion, just like with marriage, you know, uh, forsaking all others and cleaving unto thee. That is what holiness is, as Sinclair Ferguson gives the analogy. And so what, when God is calling him, his people to holiness and devotion to him alone, he's calling them away from divided devotion to other people, other gods, and uh, other practices. This idea, this di- and the temptation of all humanity is to be divided in our devotion and to try to blend things together. Um, And often we do this in unconscious ways. And the more that we're steeped in our culture uh, and not in God's word, so whether that be because we've been Christians for a long time and we are ignorant of God's word and we spend most of our time being informed by the world around us, or it could be that, and I think this is a problem in Canada, we are so the lines have been blurry because it's a Christian quote unquote culture, so to speak, and that there are many values that have been um, produced by the gospel that our culture still until recently shared. And there's been a peaceful uh, relationship, so to speak, between Christians and those in power. So the illusion is kind of, there isn't really an antithesis between Christ and culture. There really isn't an animosity that exists. There's there's a sincere peace. Uh, we're all on the same team. But if you believe that, then when you're asked to kind of pick a side, all of a sudden it feels weird. It's like, but I've never had to pick a side in my life. So this is not just an idea that's an Old Testament thing. That Paul writes um, in in Romans 12 to the Romans, Christians in Rome, who we know from church history were, I mean, they they had to choose. Were they going to worship Christ as Lord or was it going to be Caesar as Lord? And uh, as you know, Roman religion would allow for them to worship Jesus as God. Totally. We'll add him to the pantheon uh, with all of the other Yeah, what's, gods. One, what's one more what's God? What's one more? They, yeah. they had no dispute over that, it's, even if they found it ridiculous or whatever. But the question was, were you going to also offer your worship, your devotion to Rome and its religion by honoring Caesar 
and uh, you know, sprinkling some incense in the fire and pouring out a libation. And the Christians said no, to the point where the officials thought they were, you know, Pliny the Younger, just saying they're just obstinate people. Why won't they just comply? And it just seems stupid that they'd be willing to suffer for such a dumb thing. But the Christians in Rome had took Paul's word to heart, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which Mm. is to say, devoted to him alone, Mm. which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And so the temptation is to be conformed to the pattern of the world, which we might say at this time is the values and practices and presuppositions of our culture. It might be a, a way that we talk about that now. If we take these principles now and say, okay, the temptation of all humanity is to, you know, adopt the practices and, and priorities, the values, the worship, of the culture around them, the world around them, and they must instead fight to be devoted to God alone. Um, What are the dangers that Canadians face? What are the cultural values? What are the worldly ideas and presuppositions? What is the false worship that our culture demands that we offer? And I would say one of those values, coming back to our topic, is compliance. It's the idea that Compliance is synonymous um, with obedience. That compliance is right, is a virtue, we might say, and non-compliance is a vice. So for Canadians, they might not use these terms, but we deeply feel that compliance is inherently right or at least safer, and non-compliance is dangerous. The idea is, you know, it's built on a a, uh, a history of peace and privilege. It's kind yeah. of like we do live in a peaceful place, and non-compliance disturbs that peace. Yeah, but that's we just could, a, why don't we just um, be quiet? This too will pass, and we'll get back to whatever. Yes, we're doing before. yes. Yeah. The world is a safe place that generally will work out for my good and comfort and ease, and I just need to go along with it. Right. And we can believe such foolish things because that, on a level, may have been our experience. That's the experience of a privileged culture. Yeah. Um, but that is, that's not true of most places in the world, mm. of most human experience. Yeah. And but, it's the fruit of a Christian culture, in a sense. It is, yes. Um, I mean, the fruit's dying on the vine right now, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, these, the, the legal traditions we, we have that up till now have guaranteed our freedom are the result of the Christian worldview. Yes. Right. And so when we take that Canadian value of compliance, as if it's just in itself inherently good, if we bring that into our Christian life, that Canadian value, and we kind of baptize it with words like obedience and submission, then all of a sudden we have this cultural value that's not a biblical value. um, And we've, we've, Christianized it, so to speak. And that's a very dangerous thing because compliance in the Bible is actually not inherently good and non-compliance isn't inherently bad. I suppose it would be who you're complying exactly. to. <laughs> it, it depends what we are complying with or who uh, or what we are 
being non-compliant towards or who. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought about the, you know Luther began his theses with all of a Christian life is one of repentance. Right. Well, I want to say <clears throat> in the same way, all of a Christian's life in a very real sense is one of non-compliance. And this has come up, I've noticed this as a pastor, all COVID issues related are aside and, and all state issues aside. There is a, and I've noticed this in my life, maybe you can comment on this. The idea that the Christian life is warfare, the idea that Christian sanctification is a battle daily, is not a common idea in Canadian discipleship. Now, I'm, I'm of course, generalizing here, but I've, I've spoke with enough people, it seems to be their experience as well, that there's kind of an idea that I've become a Christian and things should generally work out. Like, if I just go with the flow of things, it's, yes, there'll be some ups and downs, but I should be generally moving in the right direction. But Paul doesn't allow for that kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. He tells us to wage war against our flesh. He says to put it to death. Yeah. Um, he says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. He says, do not be conformed. In other words, go if you go with the flow, you go to hell. Yeah. Um, you are like the man in the river who's sitting still, but he's really going downstream. Mm. And if you sit still in the Christian life, if you don't resist... If you only comply with the world, the flesh, and the devil, you will die. Mm. And just a couple texts to back this up, that that the Christian life means, so Romans 6, 12 to 14, um, the Christian is daily engaged in non-compliance, daily. And so Romans 6, 12 to 14 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So sin wants you to comply. The sinful passions, uh, your sinful passions are calling for your obedience, are calling for your compliance to do what you want. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Mm. So if we actually are compliant with sin, we are non-compliant with God. But if we are compliant with God, we are non-compliant with sin and its passions. Mm. And this is not only a daily thing, this is a moment-by-moment thing. Every day a yes. Christian is is at war with resistant to, not submitting, not offering, uh, not compliant with his sin. Yeah. Yeah, I think of uh, 1 John 5, uh, the first five verses. Uh, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah. It's that battle against the world, right? I that's. I also uh, quoted 
First John to talk about our resistance with the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If mm. anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Yeah. And this is all echoing Christ's words, right? If if you don't uh, love me more than you hate, or or if you don't hate your, your own mother, your father, yes. your brother, your sister, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's there's got to be some kind of resistance in our mind, in our hearts, in our affections, in our practices with the pattern of the world, the values and the worship, the practices of the world. And that has to be a daily thing. Um, there's, a, there's a non-compliance with that. Yeah. And, and the same is with the devil. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So to submit to God, to comply with God and his law is to non-comply with the devil, is to resist, to oppose, to refuse to submit and obey the devil. So I hope you can see from the Bible that compliance isn't inherently virtuous. To comply with the world, the flesh, and the devil is to resist God and to worship someone and something other than God. But the Canadian value is that compliance is, is inherently good. And uh, we, I think, sadly, many Christians are not transformed by the renewing of their mind, but are being conformed to the pattern of the world, to the pattern of Canadian values, which see compliance as inherently virtuous and non-compliance as inherently vices. Yeah. I want to tie this in with a topic that's come up quite a bit in the last year for us and that's church attendance church membership yeah that sort of thing uh, you see so often in scripture that uh compliance to god often leads to scorn from unbelievers and other, even other professing believers you yeah see it all through scripture uh i don't know how i would deal with that personally if i didn't have strong fellowship Yes. On a on a daily and weekly basis. Yeah. With other believers who uh were you know, were also fighting that battle. If you're just around wishy washy uh professing believers all day, every day, and you're struggling with this stuff, you're not gonna get any help from those people. No. Like it's the people who you labor with week in and week out. Uh they see your struggle, uh they want the same they want the same good for you. Yeah. You know, those are the people who are going to say, don't worry about so-and-so scorning you. They don't have your good in mind. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. I, that's just something that comes to my mind. It's like when you're fighting this stuff, you need, you need a team. Oh yeah. Right? We do it. Of course we do it in the power of the spirit. Uh, but God works, his spirit works through the, through the assembly. Well, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another daily. Um, that you don't become uh, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin mm. and uh, do not neglect meeting together. And the, there's a, I mean, the principle is that by ourselves, we don't uh, resist sin. You know, like by ourselves, we just offer compliance with it. Um, by ourselves, we don't resist the devil. We just comply and therefore we don't submit to God. By ourselves, we don't resist the world. We just resemble it. Mm. We're conformed to it. And this, this, the, the, the singular devotion of holiness to God is a group effort. Yeah. And it's not surprising that the guys who have neglected that and downplayed that and ignored that, 
reality of our need for others, as, as the church has always understood, are the same people who just look and sound like the world. They sound exactly like the world. It's not like they sound like Christians except that they take a different political position. It's that they just look and sound like everything I hear on the news, Mm. like every terrified neighbor I talk to, um, because they're just being conformed to the pattern of the world, just like everyone else. And the scary thing is the more you do that, the less of a problem you actually think it is. Right. Right? And then we look crazy. You know, it's like, the house is not on fire. What are you talking about? Yeah. But there's just the guys that Jeremiah talked about. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Hmm. I often, um, when I think of myself, I, I think that there's something wrong with me because I when I can't do stuff on my own. Yeah. But the that's actually a wrong way of thinking about it because God, his means of grace to us is through other people. He doesn't expect us to be able to conquer all these things on our own. And so in my head, I'm thinking, oh, my faith isn't big enough because I can't, I can't just go on my own and, you know, live the Christian life. But God didn't intend for us to live it like that. No, the irony is that someone who thinks that doesn't have faith, faith is believing God. And (laughs) when you say, I can't do it on my own, you're actually walking by faith and not by sight. Mm. It's blind to say, I think I can do this. I got this. Recognizing how insufficient and weak and pathetic we are is not antithetical to faith. It's actually the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, faith is putting our trust in God, a source of strength and power and wisdom beyond us. And trusting in ourselves is actually the antithesis to faith. But it is, yeah, I know the temptation. It's like, oh, I should be able to do this. I should be able to beat this. Yeah, I should be able I'm to. I'm not strong enough to do this. Yeah. 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 And we need to let that die. And you know what? It's such a terrible, isn't it, Jeremy, such a terrible burden to live under? It's horrible. It's like a false standard that you never, you set the standard that God doesn't even set, but then you can never reach it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I got to be able to stand. I got to be able to stand, fall. Oh, I got to be oh, strong right. at stand, this fall. Must, must have been what it felt like to be a Pharisee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now what do you do, right? Yeah. You either crumble or you adjust the standard. Right. And that's what they do. They, they tithe their dill and their cumin, but they ignore the weightier matters of the law of justice and mercy because those things are hard. Yeah. And those standards condemn you. Um, I wanted to make a quick note about this idea that compliance isn't inherently virtuous. Um, it's the same with love, yeah. right? Whoever loves the world doesn't love God. So it's like, well, Christians ought to love as if, well, no. What do you mean? What are you loving? Yeah, what how are you do, loving? How do you define love? Yeah. Do you love pornography? Yeah. That's not good love. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we we can say the same as submission. Yeah. You know, do not submit yourselves um, to sin and do not let it rain. Look, to be submissive to sin and the devil and the passions of the flesh is not virtuous. And I've seen so many guys still saying we're going to obey the government because we want to be submissive. And the presupposition is submission is inherently virtuous. Look, you can make a case for why you ought to submit to the government here. That's fine. But you don't, it's not right because you're submitting, right? Yeah. And that is a Canadian value. That is not a biblical value. That is a Canadian assumption that submission is synonymous with obedience. And it is not. To submit to 
uh, unlawful commands or to submit to commands which require you to be disobedient to God is not virtuous. Mm. To submit to the devil in the flesh is not virtuous. To submit to fear is not virtuous. So we need to we need to reject the simplistic thinking that's more it's syncretism. It just it, you're just seeing the Canadian church looks a lot like Canadian culture. I mean, I we've even had family who've said, you know, you guys realize you're like the you're just a small minority. It's like okay, reading what? a National <laughs> Post article the other day about kind of how the church is just failing. I don't know if the guy's a Christian who wrote it, but he's talking about the Yank, the mainline church. And I just had the, I remembered that comment and it's like, yeah, me and the guys who believe in the assembly of the saints, the preaching of the gospel, the receiving of the sacraments, the um the you know, administration of church discipline, defined membership. Uh, yes, those are the guys I stand with. You stand with the people who don't even believe the gospel. They don't believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God. They've been fighting for decades to look exactly like the world, and they do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you've been conformed to the pattern of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're just seeing that en masse. The majority of churches look like the culture around them with some Christianese language thrown in. And uh, even the reactions of people to those who don't comply is they castigate them in, in terms of rebellious, um, you know, dissident, uh, defiant, uh, morally reprehensible language, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, that that just has that just has no scriptural basis whatsoever. I suppose we are defiant to some degree. Yes, but th- what my point <laughs> not is, wrongfully defiant. <laughs> well, my point is though that they use those words as if they are inherently wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, hmm. we need to be be aware of being shaped more by the world than the Word of God, and in the matter of compliance, that is definitely the case. And uh, we need to ask God to bring revival, like we yeah. talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. That's the only thing that's going to change. I mean, there's worldliness invading the church, and the ship is going down, and and uh, we need God to to send a revival so that his people can walk in holiness. Yeah, I think it's important we emphasize this point, too, because for all the stuff we talk about on a big scale, on a culture-wide scale or a political scale... Um, it really does start in the household of God. Oh, of course. We need to get our house in order, and uh, personally, like it, it personally, it, it needs to start with with me. Yes, right. If I'm not, you know, if I'm not fighting the battle uh, every day, yeah, then what am I going to do when when push comes to shove and I've actually got to stand up in a crowd and proclaim the gospel? I'm not going to do. It. I'm not going to do it. Right? No, like we need to be fighting. The flesh fighting the devil, yes. fighting sin every day. Yes, uh, the non-compliance on the on the small level, yes. which is really the big level. Yep, and that's going to flow out uh, from you know flow out from the house of God to the world. Yes, one hundred percent. That's a that's I a mean, great point, Jeremy. And I've I honestly I've lost I've lost all hope in political processes mm-hmm. and you know political figures in the last year. I've seen. No consistency or or any type of pattern uh, with whatever politician, whatever 
party they're from. Like it's all it's mm-hmm. all the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I I have no hope other than that there is a revival, mm-hmm. other than that hearts are changed. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we need to keep teaching and keep encouraging and praying for. I mean, I've we've been encouraged in our churches to see members strengthened mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, walking. The, the funny thing is, um, it's not funny, it's sad, actually. But, I mean, I, I can say now, having seen, witnessed both congregations um, in this time, it's not a bunch of pitchforks and, you know, torches and, you know, down with the government flag burning. Yeah. How, it's good, actually, how good was Sunday? Yeah, it's just, it's just, actually like <laughs> devotion to God. I mean, I can say the love in our church has gone through the roof. Yeah. And the fruit of the Spirit is just manifest in ways it never has been. And the gospel is reaching more people than it ever has. And um, the word of God seems to be landing with particular force and bringing life and healing and death, you know, and, and new life. And um, it feels like we're in the midst of a revival. Uh, but you would think, you know, from so many, even sadly pastors talking about what we're doing, you'd, you'd think like we were plotting some, we're just some angry dissidents in some cave plotting some coup or something. It's yeah. like, no, no, we're, we're saying we need to worship Christ above all other gods and false gods and that our devotion must be singular and we must be wholehearted and not divided, which means that we must obey him. And if that means not complying with the demands of the rulers who rage, uh, then so be it. And we don't, we don't take delight in that fact alone, but we do take delight and offering worship and obedience to Christ. Amen. Amen, indeed. And yeah, it's been sweet fellowship. It has. tell you that much. Well, for the good segment, I'm going to read a little portion from the Chronicles of Narnia. We haven't actually read any Chronicles of Narnia yet. Nice. Surprised we made it through 16 episodes without any. So this is from... Oh, man, this is from Prince Caspian. Nice. No, Silver Chair. Pardon okay. me. Silver Chair. Jill Pole. So this is when uh, Jill and Diggory first get, get into Narnia, and he mm-hmm. falls off the cliff, and she's stuck up top there. Mm-hmm. So, although the sight of water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she had been turned to stone with her mouth wide open, and she had very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion. It lay with its head raised and its two forepaws out in front of it. She knew at once that it had seen her, for its eyes looked straight into hers for a moment and then turned away, Mm -hmm. as if it knew her quite well and didn't think much of her. Mm -hmm. If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill. And if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. Anyway, she couldn't have moved if she'd tried, and she couldn't take her eyes off of it. How long this lasted, she could not be sure, but it seemed like hours. And the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion, if only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second she started here and there, wondering who had spoken. Then the voice said again, If you are thirsty, come and drink. And she realized that it was a lion speaking. 
She had seen its lips move this time, and the voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. It did not make make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in a different way. "'Are you not thirsty?' said the lion. "'I'm dying of thirst,' said Jill. "'Then drink,' said the lion. "'May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do?' said Jill." The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. "'Will you promise not to, to do anything to me if I come?' said Jill. "'I make no promise,' said the lion. "'Do you eat girls?' she said. "'I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men,' "'Kings and emperors, cities and realms,' said the lion. "'It didn't say this as if it were boasting, "'nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. "'It just said it. "'I daren't come to drink,' said Jill. "'Then you will die of thirst,' said the lion. "'Oh, dear,' said Jill, coming another step nearer. "'I suppose I must go and look for another stream, then.' "'There is no other stream,' said the lion. "'Great, great little section in there. "'That's good. "'Spoiler alert, she goes and gets a drink.' <laughs> she makes the right decision. <laughs> oh yeah, love that. Mm. He had such a good insight, eh? He in did getting that stuff into these stories. Oh yeah, Lewis had so much to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, the abolition of man feels like he wrote it for today. For today, yeah, so much. Yeah, it's so good. And if you haven't read the space trilogy, the third book in the space trilogy, um, uh, that hideous strength is basically that book, uh, Abolition of Man, uh, in uh, fiction form. So mm-hmm. he's sort of written the same ideas into it, into a story. Really good uh, trilogy. I mm-hmm. like that. So. Well, thanks for joining us on the Dominion Podcast. Hope this has been helpful and upbuilding. And uh, we hope you'll join us again next time. I'm going to leave us with some music. Oh, and i got to get my Bible open here. This is a song called uh, With Unveiled Face, and the group is a vocal group called, oh man, I forget off the top of my head now. I listen to it every day. <laughs> but the song is called uh, With Unveiled Face, and that's drawn from Second Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We'll see you next time. With unveiled face I look above And contemplate your majesty I marvel that a God like you Has in your image fashioned me God led your spirit and your Unbounded love From darkness I will be transformed As blessing shower from above In you is perfect glory
press on, transforming to that bright place without.